This is episode 332 of the AWS podcast, released on September 15, 2019. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Simon Lisher here with you. Great to have you back, and I am joined by Nikki Stone. G'day, Nikki. Hi, everyone. Happy to be back. It's good to have you back because it's update time, and I think it's only a lazy 84-odd updates today, isn't it? Oh, lazy. 84 <laughs> is lazy. <laughs> what was last time, like 140? something. <laughs> Who's counting? I think it was 140. Let's get crack-a-lacking. So uh, let's start with storage. Amazon EFS has announced a price reduction for infrequent access storage, and in fact, this is one of the largest percentage price reductions in AWS history to date. It's 44% reduction in the the US East North Virginia region and check your local region for other reductions. And basically what this allows you to do is to store your data much more cheaply for long periods of time. Now, this is really important because EFS file systems can transparently serve data from two storage classes, EFS standard and EFS infrequent access or IA. And you don't have to worry about where they go because the uh, location is managed by the service itself. The benefit is, is now you're paying even less for files that you're not accessing regularly. So you're getting a cost saving without having to do anything. Now, this is available in all EFS regions, effective September 1st, 2019. Check your check your local guides, as they say, but that's pretty pretty exciting news. And I always like to share a price reduction. Now, there are different kinds of reductions, reductions of space requirements. And Amazon FSx for Lustre has reduced the minimum file system size to 1.2 terabytes. So it used to be 3.6 terabytes. Now it's 1.2. And this smaller file system lets you apply it to a broader set of workloads and spoiler alert, or maybe not spoiler alert, we're going to talk about some of those workloads uh, a little bit later, but we won't talk about them just now, but it will be in this episode. We're also adding support. The suspense is killing me. I know, me. you know, <laughs> you can't, you can't, you can't handle it. Uh, we're also adding support for Windows shadow copies to all Amazon FSX file system, which is great. So uh, this was previously available to newly created ones. Now it's available to everything that you've got. And related to that topic, AWS DataSync can now transfer data to and from SMB file share. So this is a great way to automate and accelerate copying data between SMB file shares, the Amazon Simple Storage Service, or the Elastic File System. So lots of easy ways for you to move data up and back very, very quickly. And finally in storage, this ties into my my theory that Nikki Stone will not travel to any city that doesn't have a CloudFront point of presence. (laughs) (laughs) So we are... (laughs) <laughs> we are pleased to announce that Amazon CloudFront has its first edge location in Portugal, in particular in Lisbon. So this should mean that viewers in Portugal should see a up to a 60% improvement in latency when accessing content through CloudFront. And um, what's the next city you're visiting, uh, Nikki? Lisbon. But what other data do you have to prove that theory? <laughs> hey, you That's can prove- the only it, data point you have. As, as Homer Simpson once said, you can prove anything remotely true with facts. <laughs> oh, that one single data point now proves the fact that I won't go anywhere that doesn't have a cloud. Well, you know what? CloudFront has 190 points of presence in 72 cities across 33 countries. So yeah. technically I could go anywhere. That's what I'm saying. Probably... You're just proving me right. <laughs> okay, you're right. You actually might be right. Yeah, I'm going to Lisbon for Web Summit. It's going to be really fun. And Can't 60% wait. faster. <laughs> <laughs> It should be when I present all my presentations in Lisbon. They should be there should be a sixty percent improvement in all latency and every single thing I stream on Twitch from Lisbon. Amazing. Good news. All right, moving on to the topic of compute. Couple announcements here. Amazon EC2 now supports diagnostic interrupts. You can send diagnostic interrupts to your Amazon EC2 instances to help you debug unresponsive instances and conduct root cause analysis. But previously, it was challenging to debug or root cause an unresponsive instance, but now with a simple API call, you can 
have an out-of-band method to trigger a kernel panic for an EC2 instance. And you can use this capability to direct the operating system to perform tasks like creating a crash drum, loading a secondary kernel, or obtaining a call trace. I, I also think this could be really cool when you're doing a game day in your own environment is to just issue... <laughs> Start issuing diagnostic. I actually interrupts. agree with you on that one. <laughs> totally. Uh, Why wouldn't for, you? for those of you not familiar with Game Day, uh, the essays put on this large Game Day where they create these AWS accounts that have something wrong with them, and then the, the game is to try to figure out what's wrong with them and fix your solution to win. Right? Is that totally, right? Yeah, Did I explain yeah, that yeah, correctly? Yeah, but you're also competing against other teams, and you're sabotaging them. Oh, so this is definitely a sabotage. Diagnostic interrupt to someone's Amazon EC2 instance. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to use that. I'm, I'm participating in game day in October too. Oh, there you go. Moving on, Amazon EC2 A1 instances are now available in additional regions. They're available in uh, Mumbai, Sydney, and Tokyo, and then the Europe regions. So that was the Asia Pacific and the Europe regions. They were originally introduced at reInvent and they are our, for our ARM-based workloads. Amazon EC2 hibernation is now available on Amazon Linux. You can now hibernate newly launched EC2 instances running Amazon Linux 2 in addition to Amazon Linux and Ubuntu 18.04. Uh, so hibernation just gives you the ability to launch instances, set them up and hibernate them and then quickly bring them back to life when you need them. So you can maintain a fleet of like pre-warmed instances and get to a productive state faster uh, without modifying your existing applications using hibernate. Amazon ECS now supports per container swap space parameters. So swap space is used by operating systems such as Linux to allow processes to use more memory than is physically available on the host. The operating system will swap physical memory to disk as needed to meet the demands of the software running on the host. And swap space enables applications to use more memory than they otherwise would be able to access at the cost of higher latency and lower throughput. And so applications with like varying memory requirements, um, but less sensitivity to latency can benefit from swap memory. Uh, so now with this per container swap configuration in ECS, customers can control each container's use of swap and they can have swap enabled or disabled. And for those that haven't enabled, the maximum amount of swap used can be limited per container. Amazon ECS wasn't finished. Uh, they now expose runtime container IDs to APIs and the ECS console. So previously, customers had to stitch together multiple APIs to associate the runtime container ID of containers to the respective ECS task. And this was useful for debugging. But now the describe tasks and stop task APIs return the runtime container ID for all the containers within an ECS task, which means that customers now have a simplified workflow to diagnose errors by searching through log fails for the failed containers and then mapping them to the respective task. Amazon EKS now supports Kubernetes version 1.14 for all clusters. And this version now includes stable support for durable local storage management and pod priority, as well as the beta launch of PID limiting. A quick note on Windows support. Uh, support for Windows nodes is graduating to the stable Kubernetes 1.14. And EKS currently supports running Windows nodes and containers as part of a public preview. But official support will be forthcoming. And then one quick note on Kubernetes 1.11. Deprecation. 1.11 deprecation. So as of today, version 1.11 is deprecated in EKS and will no longer be supported on November 4th, 2019. Customers are encouraged to be keeping up to date with Kubernetes versions, but we currently support uh, 1.12, 1.13, and 1.14 all supported today. Yeah, that, the Kubernetes uh, sort of environment moves very quickly. And so that sort of three version support is a, is a good one, but it means that customers can roll pretty quickly through as an update because I know there's a lot of features that come in that people want to get advantage of. So uh, 
keeping up to date is an important thing. Totally. You must have an ongoing upgrade plan so you can stay up to date. Make sure that you're um, not using a deprecated version. Amazon EKS has added support to assign IAM permissions to Kubernetes service accounts. Uh, so this gives you fine-grained pod-level access control when running clusters with multiple co-located services. So previously, you could only associate IAM roles to an EC2 node in the cluster, and every pod that ran on that node had to inherit the same IAM role. Uh, this made it hard to run pods with different access control requirements on the same set of nodes. But now you can assign a unique IAM role to a service account that can be used by individual pods running on your Kubernetes cluster to give you that fine-grained control over, over the permissions set for each pod that you run. And lastly, you can suspend resume scaling is now available in AWS application auto-scaling. Customers can now suspend and resume any of their AWS application auto-scaling actions. As a Previously, they might have had to delete uh, scheduling actions or uh, basically just remove them. Now you can suspend and resume the scaling actions without having to delete the policies or scheduled actions. Let's move on to the topic of networking. AWS Global Accelerator now supports client IP address preservation for application load balancer endpoints. And I'll actually be doing a bit of a deep dive with uh, Mr. Jeff Barr on this one in another episode. But basically, this uh, makes it much easier for you to manage what you do with traffic when you receive it. Also, the AWS site-to-site VPN capability has got some uh, updates. Firstly, it's added configurability of security algorithms and timer settings for your VPN tunnels. So this really helps you restrict which security algorithms you want to use, which is often very important in terms of meeting certain protocols or best practices or just corporate policies. You can also configure timer settings for new and existing VPN connections as well. So you can understand exactly how long you're going to honor those types of settings. And also the VPN now supports certificate authentication as well. So this allows you to certify the certificates used with AWS Certificate Manager, which again gives you an extra level of control and security. AWS WAF has also had an update. You can now configure a lower threshold for rate based rules when you use AWS WAF. And this is really useful for mitigating low volume application threats. Often when we think about external threats, particularly denial of service type threats, we think of lots and lots of requests, but there is obviously a class of very slow and long draining type requests. Just like when I speak slowly like that, which would be pretty freaky for people who listen to the podcast on 1.5 speed. Um, freaky but- for me. <laughs> That's true. But now the there's a new threshold of 100 requests per five minutes, whereas previously the threshold was 2000 requests per five Five minutes. So you can now capture a different category there. And finally, a really cool one that I've seen a lot of customers have really been happy about is Amazon Route 53 now publishes query volume metrics for public hosted zones. So these are really useful metrics to see the number of DNS queries served for each of your Route 53 public hosted zones. So you can see the activity level, you can see if there's any weird changes in traffic. And of course, it all goes through to Amazon CloudWatch, which means we can look at queries per minute, TP90, all the good measures we'd like to talk about. Moving over to the topic of databases, Amazon RDS now supports Oracle Database 18C. So you can now launch RDS instances for Oracle Database 18C, which introduced many new features such as polymorphic table functions, schema-only accounts, scalable sequences, and many others. Amazon RDS for MySQL supports a new minor version, 8.0.16. This release includes a number of security account management and other functionality improvements, along with a number of bug fixes. And this one's really interesting. PostgreSQL 12 Beta 3 is now available 
available in Amazon RDS database preview environment, which I did not know that we had. Have you not been have you not been following these update episodes? <laughs> I have been following, but I didn't know we had a database preview environment, mm. which allows customers to test the beta version of PostgreSQL 12 on Amazon RDS before launching it in their own environment. So you can now deploy the beta for development and testing in the database preview environment without the hassle of installing, provisioning, and managing the database. And PostgreSQL 12 includes a bunch of improved functionality, performance, uh, management of indexing, improved partitioning capabilities, and a whole host of other things. Uh, so it sounds like a great version to want to test out in our database preview environment, which is really cool. Yeah. A, a change in the serverless database world, Amazon Athena now supports querying data from Amazon S3 requester pays buckets. Now, many of you may not be familiar with, with what a S3 requester pay bucket is. Essentially, it's a great mechanism to share data with others where the person requesting the data is charged the Amazon S3 request and data transfer costs associated with the query. So you can make data that you may store in your own bucket available to other researchers or groups or companies and they pay for the costs. So Amazon Athena now supports that modality, which is a pretty cool way to share data. Super cool. Another quick update is Amazon DocumentDB with MongoDB compatibility now has support for slow query logging. They're the ones we want to know about, which ones suck. So this allows you to uh, identify those queries that are taking a little bit longer than they should. Amazon Elasticash announces online vertical scaling for Redis cluster mode and improves scaling for non-Redis cluster mode. So you can now scale up and scale down your sharded Redis cluster on demand. Amazon Elasticash resizes your cluster by changing the node type while the cluster continues to stay online and serve on incoming requests. So this is really cool because you can basically dynamically scale your cluster while keeping it still online and eliminates the need to over-provision for peak demand and allows you to right-size cluster, improving efficiency and reducing costs. Additionally, Amazon Elasticash has also improved the scaling experience for non-Redis cluster mode by adding support for scale down and improving availability during scaling operation. It's pretty cool when you consider those uh, Elasticash databases can be up to 170 terabytes of in-memory. I mean, that's just huge. Crazy. Yeah. And you can have more than one. <laughs> Yeah, Elasticash had some more announcements too. They weren't finished. This is a little baby one. Amazon Elasticash now supports up to 50 characters in a cluster name. Um, so you can now name your clusters up to 50 characters for cache clusters and up to 40 characters for replication groups. Previous limit was 20 characters. So now you can have longer names that are unique to your naming standards. And the last one here is Amazon Elasticash for Redis adds support for customer managed keys in AWS key management service for encryption at rest. Um, so you can now use customer managed managed customer master keys in KMS to encrypt your data at rest in Elasticash for Redis. I mean, when you enable encryption at rest with CMKs, Amazon Elasticash for Redis encrypts all the data on the disk, including service backups stored in S3 with your encryption key. Let's move on to a quick update for developer tools. AWS X-Ray now supports Amazon SQS. So you can now use X-Ray to trace messages that pass through the simple queue service. And this makes it really easy to troubleshoot performance issues and errors in your distributed applications and microservices architecture. So really what the uh, X-Ray console does is lets you map connections between SQS and other services that your application uses. And so you can start to see average latency, failure rates, just help you understand what's going on. Pretty powerful. And you can even trace a message, for example, sent to a SQS queue for distribution to your consumers running on EC2 container service or on-premises hosts. Lots of options here, Nick. I think it's it's a small small change, but a useful one. I'm just sad there's only one announcement in the DevTools topic. <laughs> I always want more. Let's talk about analytics 
analytics. Amazon Kinesis Data Streams has changed its license for its producer library to Apache License 2.0, which allows you to easily build and integrate the Amazon Kinesis producer library with other Apache software projects like Flink and Spark, etc. which uh, licenses aren't cool to talk about per se, but they can make a big difference about how you can use software. So that's a, a nice change. Amazon EMR also made some very cool changes. They've introduced block public access configurations so you can secure your EMR cluster from unintentional network exposure. So basically what this does is prevents your account users from launching clusters with security group rules that open ports for inbound traffic from IPv4 0.0.0 forward slash zero or IPv6 colon colon forward slash zero, which you'd never use. And so you can configure this to protect yourself against the, the inadvertent. And you can also now, we also now support, I should say, uh, runtime installation of external libraries with EMR notebooks. So before this, you had to boot, do a bootstrap action or use a custom AMI to get additional libraries into the AMI before you launched your cluster. Now you can import your preferred libraries and use them to build your Spark applications, analyze data, visualize the results in your notebook, etc. Makes it really easy to use. And we also like faster performance. And so we now have up to 16 times better Spark performance with Amazon EMR release 5.26.0. And this has a whole bunch of new features that I won't run you through, but uh, the main takeaway is much faster. Amazon Redshift now recommends distribution keys for improved query performance. So the Redshift advisor now recommends the most appropriate distribution key or frequently queried tables to improve query performance. The advisor generates tailored recommendations by analyzing clusters performance and query patterns. And you can use the command alter table, alter dist key to add or modify the distribution key of a table without impacting concurrent read or write queries. So that one's cool. AWS Glue releases binaries of Glue ETL libraries for Glue jobs. So you can now import the released Java binaries of Glue ETL libraries using Maven or your IDEs locally. And this feature allows you to seamlessly develop, compile, debug, and single-step Glue ETL scripts and complex Spark applications in Scala and Python locally before deploying them to your environments on the Glue job system or Glue development endpoints. Very nifty. Some uh, updates in the world of IoT. We're introducing the Machine to Cloud Connectivity Framework. Now, this is a solution that provides secure factory equipment connectivity to the AWS cloud. It has uh, faster, robust data ingestion, highly reliable and durable storage of equipment data and serverless event-driven applications that let you manage your factory configuration. And this is a really powerful solution. I think, Nikki, you and I were talking about some of the solutions that have been released lately where it brings together a whole lot of components that customers can use as a baseline and then also grow for their own requirements. Totally. I think it's just cool that we're developing like mini apps to let people just use. And, you know, we did all the pre-development and pre-work for them and they can just launch it. And I also like that it's serverless. <laughs> this is true. A few other quick AWS IoT updates. AWS IoT Core adds the ability to configure quality of service for the republish action. So you can choose the QOS, which you can choose between whether something is delivered zero or more times or delivered one or more times, which may be very relevant in your particular use case. The AWS IT device tester for Amazon FreeRTOS now supports Amazon FreeRTOS 2019.08.00. And the Nuviton Newmaker IoT M487 is now qualified for Amazon FreeRTOS, which is yet another environment used. And I think, Nikki, you and I know that these IoT manufacturers just insist on making really complicated names for us to say. Like just really complicated yeah, like I was really surprised hard. at how smoothly you just said <laughs> the new version of Artos. I could only do it once. Uh, Amazon FreeRTOS also now supports the HTTPS client. This is now generally available. So now you can easily connect your microcontroller-based IT devices running Amazon FreeRTOS to AWS IoT and download files to your devices and really fits into the whole encrypt all the things concept. 
Moving over to the topic of end-user computing, Amazon AppStream 2.0 now supports Amazon virtual private cloud endpoints for API operations and streaming traffic. So you can now route your streaming traffic to your Amazon AppStream 2.0 streaming instances through your Amazon VPC using VPC endpoints. And you can also use VPC endpoints to perform API operations without relying on an internet connection. So with this feature, the network connection between your users and your AppStream 2.0 streaming instances and your API operations can be restricted to private network routes, further securing your applications. We all love security. Security is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Amazon AppStream 2.0 adds support for local file system redirection. Uh, so this now support of local file system redirection lets your users seamlessly open or save files on a local computer from within their streaming session. There's been an update to WorkDocs Drive, which uh, lets you have a, a custom drive letter. And in many organizations, drive letters have meaning. Uh, you know, it's, it's on the T drive, it's on the J drive. So now you can select the drive letter of your choice and configure that. And another small change for Amazon Chime, it now adds call history for voice and video calls as well. So you can see what came in and what you didn't answer or what you did answer as well, which is very nifty. But let's move on to the topic of machine learning because I know, Nikki, you've got a bunch of updates. You're pretty psyched to tell us about. Yeah, there was definitely some good ones in here. So the first one is Amazon Forecast has now gone GA. So Forecast was a service that we announced at reInvent last year. It is a fully managed service that uses machine learning to deliver highly accurate forecasts. It's based on the same tech that we use for Amazon.com and it uses machine learning to combine time series data with additional variables to build out forecasts. Coolest part of it is that it requires no machine learning experience to get started and you basically just need to provide historical data plus any additional data that you may believe could impact your forecast and it will basically spit out a forecasting model and it is capable of making predictions that are up to 50% more accurate. So that's really awesome. There's another new solution which is the AI-powered health data masking solution and this helps healthcare organizations identify mask health data in images or text. Now this solution doesn't guarantee alignment to any regulatory framework. It's really been designed to be implemented as part of a set of mitigating controls in your environment and this is another one of those uh, serverless solutions that uses the Amazon API Gateway, Amazon Comprehend Medical, and also Amazon Recognition to pick up health data in body of text and identify text in an image as well. Really, really cool. And it's it's interesting to me because we ran a hackathon in our team a few months ago and the team built something quite similar to this as well. So it's interesting what? how people- really? Grabbed, yeah, they, they built a, a redaction tool using Textract in this So the way I can figure out like the way it's working is basically you're having recognition identify the text and then you're sending the text to Comprehend Medical to detect if it's if it's health data or not. Exactly. It's, it's really cool solution. Also love that all these solutions that we've offered are serverless. Couldn't get any better than that. Just hook them together. Amazon Transcribe now supports speech to text in Russian and Chinese Mandarin mainland as well. So Amazon Transcribe is a really useful automatic speech recognition or ASR service. And it now supports transcription of languages in both Russian and Chinese Mandarin mainland, which also adds to US English, UK English, AU English, Indian English, Spanish, US English, French, Canadian French. Italian, German, Brazilian, Portuguese, Hindi, Korean, and modern standard Arabic. So lots of choices there. Wow. No change in price. You just get it in the box. Amazing. This one's pretty cool. Amazon SageMaker launches managed spot training for saving up to 90% in machine learning training costs. So if, you, if you're not familiar with Amazon EC2 Spot, uh, we basically let you take advantage of underutilized instances at a lower cost. Uh, I do actually a show for EC2 Spot monthly. And SageMaker now supports a fully managed option called managed spot training 
training for training machine learning models using Amazon EC2 spot instances. So SageMaker will manage these spot instances on your behalf so you don't have to pull continuously for capacity. And there's no need to build any additional tooling as SageMaker will enable your training jobs to run reliably as and when spot capacity becomes available. And you can also use it to tune your machine learning models as well as train them. Very nifty. We we teased something earlier that I think really ties into the concept of training models quicker. Tell us the pain that you were feeling and tell us how the SageMaker and uh, FSX and EFS teams have solved that for you. If you ever launched uh, a SageMaker notebook instance and attempted to train a model, you might have had your data in S3 and you might have had to download all of your data to the local notebook instance before you were able to train the model on the data. And this can take quite some time, especially considering if you have a lot of data. Now, this announcement is really cool. SageMaker now works with Amazon FSX for Lustre and Amazon EFS, accelerating and simplifying model training. So you can now use EFS and FSX for Lustre file systems as data sources for training machine learning models on SageMaker. Support for these file systems accelerates and simplifies using SageMaker to train model with data sets. The file system reduces the startup time by eliminating the data download step of the training process and leveraging the various performance and benefits of the file system to execute the training job faster. The Amazon FSX for Lustre file system is linked. When it is linked to Amazon S3 buckets, it automatically copies the objects from S3 to the file system when the objects are accessed for the first time. And the same FSX file system can also be used across multiple SageMaker jobs, preventing repeated downloading of common objects. I think that one's really cool. That's very And that preloading and the the ability to link with S3 is sensational because it means you can still use S3 for that durable store, but have the FSX location as the as the source. And this ties into the thing that we teased earlier, which is, of course, Amazon FSX for Lustre file systems can now be as small as 1.2 terabytes. So even if you don't have lots and lots of data, this can still speed up your training process. Yeah, really exciting for uh, anyone that does any kind of machine learning. A couple of other Amazon SageMaker updates. Amazon SageMaker notebooks now export Jupyter logs to Amazon CloudWatch. So you don't have to go into your notebook terminal to look at your logs. It's all built into CloudWatch. And Amazon on SageMaker Ground Truth now supports private worker throughput worker logs and metrics. So now you can see the throughput and efficiency of your own private workers when they're performing data labeling, et cetera. So it just helps you understand the rate in which you're doing things. And pop quiz, where does that data go to, Nikki? Cloudwatch. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> I think it's cool that uh, when it basically says it logs all private worker events when a labeler starts and submits a task. So I just want to know if the worker like pushes a button and then it automatically sends a log to CloudWatch if it's like one of those dash buttons. I don't know, I'm envisioning it in my head. In your head, that's what it is. (laughs) Yeah, or like they click something to say I'm starting and then I'm submitting a task because it's tracking like human behavior. Mm. I don't know, it's cool. It's very cool. And last update for machine learning is uh, we're introducing analyzing text with Amazon Elasticsearch service and Amazon Comprehend. So again, another automated reference implementation that deploys a cost-effective end-to-end solution for extracting meaningful insights from unstructured data, such as customer calls, support tickets, and online customer feedback. So this is using Amazon Comprehend, combining it with the Elasticsearch service for indexing and searching. And again, it gives you a great foundation to kind of get going with something that works and is meaningful and has been kind of tested and built out, but then you can you can expand on it. So I think that's pretty cool, Nikki. I think it's a really awesome 
awesome solution that customers can just use out of the box today for any kind of support that they're doing for their customers. Moving on to the topic of application integration, AWS App Mesh now supports routing based on HTTP headers and specifying route priorities. Uh, so now App Mesh supports HTTP header-based routing to manage traffic between services in addition to the previously available path prefix-based and host-based routing capabilities. Uh, with this new feature, you can create rules and route traffic based on standard and custom HTTP headers and methods, which includes cookie data. And additionally, you can use route priorities to control the order of matching rules. Uh, so header-based routing can be used for use cases such as A-B testing, blue-green deployments, or canary deployments, delivering different pages or user experiences, handling traffic from different browsers, etc. Amazon SQS now supports tag on create. Uh, so you can now use a single Amazon SQS API call, SDK function, or CLI command to simultaneously create a queue and specify its tags. This can help you avoid running custom tagging scripts after creating queues by tagging queues at the time of creation. Very nice. Let's talk the topic of management and governance. So you can now easily enable the AWS Systems Manager capabilities with something called Quick Setup. Now this simplifies the way you enable visibility and control of your instances. You can get up and running with some of the key system manager capabilities like patch compliance scanning and instance inventory collection. It basically automates your instance permission setups and gets all your SSM agents up to date. It allows you to have those best practices rolled out straight away. It's really just a good way to get up and running very, very quickly. You can now select resource groups as targets for AWS Systems Manager run command. So you can do things at scale and we want to do things at scale when we're in an automated world. So previously you had to select instances manually or through tags. Now with the support of resource groups, you can select a resource group as a target for this run command execution. So for example, you could say patch all of the managed instances that belong to a particular group and away it goes. You can now use session manager to interactively run individual commands on instances. So this allows you to run a single command or a sequence of command that execute in an interactive shell experience on an Amazon EC2 or on-premises instance. And this lets you limit user interaction to a specific command or command sequence. So you can control who gets access to what. It also eliminates the need for bastion hosts and open inbound ports to interact with the Linux and Windows instances using a shell experience. So it's also cheaper as well as being more secure, which is pretty nice. A few other updates around uh, Systems Manager. AWS Systems Manager automation now supports additional queuing. So you can now queue up to 1,000 executions. So this means you can automate operational tasks on a broader scale. And this is really useful if you're doing things on, on mass, if I can put it that way. But you can also define <laughs> things that we call safety features. So you can define error thresholds, concurrency rates, and you can deploy these tasks in a controlled manner. So it means that you're not just going, let's update everything. It's like, well, let's update and make sure things are going okay. Another update is forwarding traffic between a local and remote port using session manager. I think, Nikki, this is a pretty nifty update. Yeah, that one is really cool. You can redirect traffic from any port inside a remote Amazon EC2 or on-prem instance to a local port on a client machine. That one is definitely interesting. Uh, moving on, AWS Chatbot now supports notifications from AWS Systems Manager. So you can make it really easy to receive notifications from the Systems Manager in your team's Slack channels and Amazon Chime chat rooms. Um, so you can receive notifications about configuration compliance or status change for a run command. And receiving these notifications can obviously enable your team to review and collaborate and act quickly and monitor your resources. Container monitoring for Amazon ECS, EKS, and Kubernetes is now available in Amazon CloudWatch. You can now monitor, isolate, and diagnose your containerized apps and microservice environments using Amazon CloudWatch Container Insights. This new feature gives DevOps and systems engineers access to automated dashboards summarizing the performance and health of their Amazon ECS, Fargate, uh, EKS, and Kubernetes clusters by pod, node, namespace, task, 
class container and service to help you troubleshoot infrastructure and performance issues in your containers environments to increase development velocity. And now the topic of customer engagement, Amazon Pinpoint adds support for the APNS push type header in Apple push notification service. Now this is important because uh, Apple recently announced this new header would be required for all push notifications sent to iOS 13 and watch OS 6 devices. So this is the, the latest and greatest generation that's uh, coming out, I think the, the day after we record this. And so uh, beginning now, uh, Amazon Pinpoint automatically adds this required header to all APNS messages that it sends. And as an Amazon Pinpoint customer, you don't have to do anything to include the header, which is again, my favorite bit of work it is no work to maintain <laughs> support and, and, uh, and compliance. <laughs> it's also uh, back compatible. So Good if point. you, if it gets sent to older versions, uh, it ignores the new header and handles them as, as it would. It's a non-breaking change. Non-breaking change is always the best kind. Moving on to the topic of security, AWS Systems Manager Parameter Store announces intelligent tiering to enable automatic parameter tier selection. Uh, so if you have unknown or changing patterns of parameter count, value size, or parameter policies, you can use intelligent tiering to allow Parameter Store to select the standard or advanced tier for you. And this selection is based on the create or update request and eliminates the need for you to change your application code. Uh, so there are two tiers, standard and advanced standard tier. Let's you store up to 10,000 parameters and four kilobytes per parameter and advanced tier lets you store up to 100,000 parameters, eight kilobytes per parameter and value sides and allows you to add policies. So with intelligent tiering, parameter store will make the tier selection for you um, based on the capabilities requested in create or update requests, enabling a non-destructive way to use advanced tier capabilities. Very nice. And you can now use uh, AWS config rules to automatically remediate non-compliant resources. So what this feature gives you the ability to do is to associate mediation actions with the AWS config rules and the choice to execute them automatically to address non-compliant resources without manual intervention. So you can reduce time to remediate those resources. And what this means is you can create the, the sort of positive feedback loop of when config detects something that's out of out of kilter or out of uh, requirement or compliance, it immediately fixes it. And, and I know that risk managers and the like in many large organizations I deal with love this idea because their biggest sort of what keeps me awake at night is someone's done something wrong, I didn't mean to do it wrong, and now it's left wrong until we discover that it's wrong and then we've got to go fix it. Whereas this is like, I'll tell you it was wrong and I'll fix it. And then you can figure out what was wrong with your process in the past, which is pretty nice. Amazing. This one's really cool. So moving over the topic of training and certification, you can now take the AWS certified cloud practitioner exam in your home or office 24 seven. The exam is now delivered online and supervised or proctored through your webcam. But yeah, somebody is watching you through your webcam. <laughs> you can't cheat. <laughs> <laughs> you, nope. You can schedule to sit for the exam around the clock, on the hour, and again, every 15 minutes. All you need is a reliable internet connection, a webcam, and a quiet private place to test. I thought that one was super cool. I've been delaying taking one of my exams because I didn't want to go to the exam center. So no now excuse. I can figure out how to take it at home. <laughs> There's also a new uh, three-day classroom course called Advanced Developing on AWS. And this is an instructor-led classroom course. And it's an advanced level. And it teaches experienced developers how to successfully re-architect a legacy on-premises monolithic application into a cloud-native microservices-driven architecture using AWS services. It also teaches you how to successfully architect and build a distributed application from scratch and implement a modern development culture within your organization. I think this is going to be a very popular course, Nikki. I know. I actually want to take it, even though I know some of those things you already. You teach it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I wanted to take it though. I want to see what everybody else says. Moving over to the topic of AWS quick starts, we have a new quick start to deploy Amazon Redshift on the cloud. Uh, so this quick start 
automatically deploys a modular, highly available environment for Amazon Redshift on AWS. And Redshift is a fast, fully managed data warehouse that makes it simple and cost-effective to analyze all of your data using SQL and your existing business intelligence tools. A traditional data warehouse requires significant time and resources to administer, especially for large data sets, and the financial cost of building and maintaining them is very high. So Redshift is uh, removing some of that undifferentiated heavy lifting. There, I said it. Good on you. Um, and this quick start will help enable you to get up and running very fast. Very nice. And our lucky last topic today is robotics. And AWS RoboMaker now supports log-based simulation event-driven simulation termination and simulation event tagging. Now, RoboMaker is a service that makes it easy to develop, simulate, and deploy intelligent robotic applications. And it now supports log-based log based, log based simulation, which basically means you can play back a pre-recorded log data set, so sensor streams, et cetera, for testing robotic functions like localization, mapping, and object detection. Uh, you can also run a physics-based gazebo simulation, and RoboMaker can be used to test a particular robotic function with log-based simulation as well. So that's that lets you sort of replay and test over and over again, which is nice. And event-driven simulation termination lets you end a simulation job programmatically through ROS messages based on an event. So you may say that you want to terminate a job once your simulated robot has succeeded or failed a particular task without waiting for the simulation job to complete. Again, this is all about saving time and, and reducing cost. Simulation event tagging also lets you tag for events of interest. So this is about getting really a deeper view into what RoboMaker is doing. And it is a very, very cool service. And also it now supports configurable timeout in over-the-air OTA deployments. So when you are making a deployment into a robot, you can configure the timeout duration of a deployment to be between one minute and seven days. And this helps you prevent undue delays or premature failures so that updates and deployment jobs can be completed. Because it's interesting, many of these robots are at the end of not great <laughs> networking connectivity. And so uh, sometimes the update uh, termination needs to be a little bit more generous than in the past. Now, Nikki, that's all the uh, sort of newsy type things. But of course, there is an event coming up just after reInvent, which is a, uh, a bit Intersect. of a cool concert. Exactly. Intersect. And so uh, we do have some discounted tickets available just for podcast listeners. And if I can find my special link, here it is. Uh, if you go to https forward forward slash int.aws forward slash podcast, you can get discounted tickets. I think it's $25 off. Stocks are limited. So if this is a thing you're planning to go to, you should probably... Uh, uh, sign up. And I think, I think Nikki, you're planning to attend if I'm right. I want to attend. Is that a uh, discount eligible for podcast hosts? Uh, the, <laughs> I, I see no, I see no condition on there that prohibits podcast hosts. So um, I, look, you, you could, you could warrant it as testing the functionality of the link on behalf of it. Yeah. Podcast. I have to test the promotional code. <laughs> exactly. Make sure it works. How do you know it's going to work? <laughs> exactly. So definitely if you're interested, grab, grab those tickets. They are limited. So uh, if you're going to reinvent and you're going to go to intersect afterwards, jump on, Buy a ticket. I definitely want to go. Well, is there a is there a cloud front location there? That's the question. <laughs> Is there a cloud front location oh, in Vegas? There's got to be one close enough. There's definitely, I mean, look. in. Uh, yeah, there's probably one close yeah, enough, but not yeah. quite there. Yeah, well, yeah. we shouldn't know off the top <laughs> of our heads, but we're not that good. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't memorized uh, all of those points of presence. Exactly. So, Nikki, where do people find you in the interwebs? So, you can find me all the time on twitch.tv slash AWS um, or on Twitter at K-N-E-E-K-E-Y 23. My name as an ORNM. So Nikki 23. And uh, I stream about a lot of the things that we talk about on this show. So 
Also, if you wanted to know more about anything that we talked about um, in this updates show, please DM me on Twitter and I will stream about it for you and do a deep dive. That deep dive on demand. It's a pretty good service, Nikki. <laughs> <laughs> Only for the podcast listeners. There you go. You got to name the, else. There, I think that's fair enough. And and we do uh, we do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at Amazon.com is the place to do that. Please tell others that the podcast is available. It's on a raft of uh, different podcatchers. We're on on Spotify, we're on Last FM, we're on all the all the all the podcatchers of choice, iTunes, of course. So it's uh, more available than ever. And of course, until next time, keep on building.